0: Welcome to History Reimagined, where history becomes fiction and fiction becomes history. You are listening to Part 5 of the Dejas series. My brothers and sisters of the stars, welcome. I hope this broadcast finds you well. An era of history is coming to an end. Napoleon dogma is but a distant memory. The army of peace has, as Bioflin desired, retreated to the pages of history. The Neuronian Revolution is nothing more than a source of rhetoric for new revolutionaries. Even the Sindalian Empire can no longer claim to span the galaxy. But an ending is just a new beginning. This is History Reimagined, and you are listening to Dalton Bates. On this podcast, we reimagine history through fiction. Join us as we explore the history of distant futures, of magical pasts, and the stories of those who have been forgotten to history. Sit back and enjoy a history lesson like no other. And, on and, on and, on and on. time is explained to Laurald what happened next. The iron heart device activated. Her blood stopped flowing. The crawl inside of her had to mutate her body to keep her alive, and in the process it took over her mind. As a crawl creature started to take form, the fate of the crowd below was sealed. Chaos spread faster than the virus. People were crushed underfoot as they tried to escape their pen. But none would survive. Even though the device was eventually removed from Razia's heart, she did not stop. She would go on to destroy Sindel's capital. All the aristocrats and ministers inside the Sindalian palace dome died with the structure's collapse. Sindel herself disappeared, without response to the accusations that she had allowed this devastation to befall the empire by accepting the crawled, by accepting her cousin. Maurice's final move to set in motion the downfall of Sindel and her empire was a resounding success. However, for Razia, The story wasn't over yet. My body drifted without weight or direction, through a space-like expanse, and yet, Where space was populated by distant specks of light, this place had no warmth. I could see nothing, or perhaps I could not see. I could hear nothing. I could feel nothing. My existence lingered on the content of my thoughts until they too faded away. From nowhere I was looking at myself. She was at peace, as still as dead. But she was breathing. If I listened closely, I could hear her heart steadily beating. Until it wasn't. Her eyes shot open, though they stared without life. Her body started to writhe, though it moved without motive. She was in pain. Such terrible pain, but... I couldn't feel it. That body was no longer my own. I watched helplessly as it started to mutate, to grow in strange, freakish ways until its form could no longer be called human. All of a sudden the blackness was gone, replaced by a scene of bodies crushed beneath piles of rubble and of cracks in the broken earth through which ran rivers of red. My eyes shot open. I was lying down. Compelled to learn of my location, I forced my head to turn, requiring all the concentration I could muster. I was in a dilapidated building, abandoned for good reason, with gaping holes in the walls and a floor split wide open. My sight shifted to a shadowed doorway, through which walked a young man with ghostly pale skin, creamy blond hair. With eyes of crystal blue, he noticed me. He was young in complexion and somewhat handsome, though he looked tired, tired beyond his years. I imagine he lived through millennia, but not without dying a hundred deaths along the way. He smiled, bringing warmth to a place where there once was none. "'and said, "'It is good to see you again, Razia.' "'I tried to sit up, "'only to realize that the lower half of my body was formless, "'a pulsating mass of oozing red flesh. "'It spread beyond the bed upon which I lay, across the floor, up the walls. "'Unable to think, unable to believe what I saw, "'I scrunched my eyes shut, and I forced myself to speak. "'Tell me this is a dream.' It would be an unpleasant dream indeed. And with those words, he curled his hand around my own. All the horror and fear slowly melted away, replaced by the comforting warmth of his grasp. He held me, and nothing else mattered. I was no longer alone. Razia, your body is still repairing itself. It will take time for you to be you again. But... I murmured, I I don't know who I am anymore. I wear someone else's skin, and trapped beneath abides a beast. The young man squeezed my hand tighter. You are not the monster, Razia. Sindel is. Maurice is. But not you. Without concern for your life, they used you. Simply a tool for their games of power. Sindel had no qualms about turning you into a puppet figurehead. Maurice had no qualms about planting an ironheart device inside of you, with full knowledge of the catastrophe it would cause. You were used, Razia. But you are safe now. As bloody memories started to take shape in my mind, I feared I already knew the answer to my question. Catastrophe? What Catastrophe? The young man went on to explain what happened, always reminding me that it wasn't my fault. He said that he was the one who managed to remove the device from my heart. And then you carried me to this place, to safety, I said, hoping that the words were true. The young man sighed. He lifted his hand to my face, caressing it so gently. I opened my eyes, meeting his. But he had no words to spell the hellish memories as they invaded my mind. There was the world. It was still. I was strangely at peace. As I watched humans flee in desperation, crawling over one another, doing anything to get away as crawl monsters tore into their masses. I realized that I was surveying the scene from a great height. Looking down upon them, I was exhilarated by a sense of true power. Were they running from me? From a landscape of grey amid a scene of chaos, glints of gold emerged. They were not running. were marching towards me. In their golden armor, these warriors had encircled the crowds, cutting off any escape. They carried giant swords, glowing with heat. As their blades connected with flesh, the scene of darkness and fear burst alight with flames. Monsters and men were burnt alive, and through the fire, the golden warriors marched onward. All I knew, all I could feel, was hatred for these soldiers of fire. There was no nuance to our conflict. They wanted me dead, and I could but respond in kind. I rushed forward to meet their ranks. All I understood was blood and flames. Pain and pleasure melted into one as I battled for life and death. My sense of self slipped away as I became a swarming mass of crawl. All as one, we crushed the golden warriors beneath us. We flattened the world around us. We moved beyond anything in our way. A great dome rose up before us. From there I would gaze down upon this world. Atop that height, nothing could challenge me. I watched as the world beneath me became smaller, as people became ants, and buildings simply stepping stones. I crawled up onto the dome. However, even that was but a perch. A perch from which I surveyed the world. A world that was now mine. I was sitting upright. My eyes shut tight, my hands over my ears, trying to mute their shrieks for mercy, trying to darken scenes of blood. No. No. It can't be. They can't all be dead. How many? No, 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 no. It can't be true. How could I... I managed to open my eyes. It was me, wasn't it? I, I was in control. I could have stopped if I wanted to, but... but maybe I didn't. The young man grabbed my face and made me look into his eyes. Razia, do you know my name? My name is Buflan Alem. I am the most hated person in the galaxy. I created the crawl virus. I prevented peace between the AP and the PRF. I masterminded the human genocide. This man was not what I imagined when I heard about the infamous Beoflanalim. I had been filled with imagery of snarled lips, eyes full of hate, a posture straightened by pride and words only spoken with a harsh tongue. This man before me was if anything not that. But you must know, Razia, that such accusations are only half the truth. The virus I created was never designed to spread across worlds. That innovation was the work of the AP. I no doubt played my role in preventing peace, but anyone with eyes could see that they were destined for war. And what humans choose to call a genocide, we saw as a cleansing, allowing the pure of heart and mind to become crawled while the rest could join the crawl to be freed from their mortal coil. Beauflin rose to his feet. Razia, you may remember what happened. You may feel as though you lived through those moments. But was it you deciding right from wrong? Was it your will that motivated your body to kill? I will tell you, Razia, that it wasn't. It was hatred. The world betrayed you. It destroyed your life, leaving you with nothing but blackness. It left you alone. All those around you, only there to manipulate you. Don't blame yourself for the hatred that dwells inside of you. For it was the world that put it there. I know, because I suffered the same affliction. I recognized that I committed evils in my war against the Army of Peace. However, it was I who was wronged first. They destroyed me, destroyed the world I knew, until I was left with nothing. And then they forced me into servitude, telling me that I should be grateful for the opportunity. I could not help but hate them. I could not stand idle, knowing that there were other children out there who could suffer at the AP's hands, as I had suffered. On the outer world of Yuhannel, I grew up with my family. We were poor without a luxury in the world, but even so, I only have happy memories from my childhood. However, I was born during the Napoleon War. My childhood ended when the Yuhan government made the public announcement that our planet had become a destination on the roadmap of Napoleon expansion. Nevertheless, there was still time. Time to prepare a proper defense. Time for those unable to fight to evacuate the world. But in the end, that time only allowed the terror in our hearts to fester. Our government reached out to the inner worlds, pleading for military and financial assistance. We were ignored. And so in a state of panic, people started to flee, Euhanle but they would receive no warm welcome from the inner worlds. They never reached their destinations, stopped by the fear that refugees from the Napoleon War would unsettle local populations who were comfortable in their collective delusion of security. The Yuhan government, not knowing what to do, enacted massive recruitment programs. My parents and my older sister were forced to serve in the army. Though we all knew it didn't matter, for Nepal's armies were vast. It was rumored that he could lose an army equal to our entire population, and he wouldn't even bat an eyelid. And so fear gave way to ideology. There were those who recognized the hopelessness of our situation and advocated for a surrender that could prevent bloodshed. But their defeatism enabled those who actually supported Nepal. Napoleon ideologues massed great followings and the time came when they were no longer content waiting for Nepal to liberate them. They decided to do it themselves. Wars broke out across Johanel. My father was killed. My mother managed to return home to us just as the fighting came to our neighborhood. She was dragged back into the army and perished a few days later. My siblings and I got out, fleeing to our grandparents' house in the country lands. We waited there, not knowing what each day would bring, until one morning when the sky turned black and we looked up to see the Napoleon fleet in its majesty. In the end, there was no great battle for the independence of Yuhannel. Once Nepal's troops had disembarked from their ships and were positioned in their massive formations outside our cities, the Yuhan government surrendered. A few weeks later, they came for us. My grandparents were killed. After all, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. My siblings and I, however, we were young. Young enough to be re-educated. Pristine schools were constructed amid the rubble of our world. I was separated from my family, my friends from everything I knew. They wanted us to be completely isolated so we would have no choice but to see our school as home. Once within, the other children and I had no idea what was happening beyond our walls. We never left. We got no news from the outside world. We couldn't even look out a window, for no windows existed in our prison. However, for many, it was no prison. We were taught to see the white walls as a hurdle to overcome, a challenge that would make us stronger. This place was only temporary, and when we stepped outside, we would be entering into an eternal life of serving Haman Nepal and his dream. Before we could take that step, we were told that we needed to prove our loyalty and competency to him. I swore to myself that I would never serve Nepal and his cronies. I was by no means exceptional. Many of the children in my school had lost family. But enclosed in those white walls, it was hard to remember them as any photos or personal items were promptly taken away. It was a lot easier to eat what you were being fed, to believe in so-called Napoleon dogma, to believe that our parents had died in service of a divided man, embroiled in conflict and in tragedy. Whereas we were a new generation who would realize the dream of unification. We would become heroes Remembered for generations to come as the soldiers who brought about a new age of prosperity, never before seen. Even so, our loyalty alone wasn’t enough. We were taught the Heobron language, and a tailored version of human history. But such studies were secondary to our military training. After all, we were destined to die on the battlefield. There was little need to produce scholars. And so we trained felt like years in that prison, but I wouldn't know, for we weren't allowed to keep time. Each day blurred into the next without any way to tell them apart, until out of nowhere, it all went up in flames. It was the Enterprise for Planetary Defense. Our so-called saviors. That's what the rest of the galaxy was told. But it was nothing more than a useful piece of rhetoric. I have no doubt that EPD commanders knew about these schools, which probably existed on all Napoleon worlds, but instead of devoting the time and resources needed to reform the young radicals inside, the order was given to eliminate us. Their bombs were packed with chemicals designed to disintegrate biological material. So once they were done with us, there would be no evidence of their crimes. We would simply be erased from history. Somehow I managed to survive. The pilot of a passing air bomber must have sighted me, a child screaming as he burned alive. Maybe the guilt was too much. I ended up on his ship, en route to their headquarters, where I could receive medical treatment. I may have survived, but my body was not so fortunate. I had to be reconstructed anew. I may have been saved, but I had no family. For all I knew, everyone I had ever known was dead. Even when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see a familiar face. After rehabilitation, without questions or explanations, I was shipped off to an orphanage. They refused to tell me anything about the fate of my siblings. To this day, I couldn't say if they are alive or dead. And so, I grew up without family or friends. There were a few other Yuhan children at the orphanage. However, most of my Kovial's were the sons and daughters of dead EPT soldiers. We were treated like the enemy, as though if only we had fought harder, if only we had the will to resist Nepal, none of this would have happened. My hatred started to brew. One day we were told that the Enterprise for Planetary Defense had become the Army of Peace. Only a few weeks passed before an AP officer was knocking on the orphanage's door. All boys and girls over the age of 12 were recruited, just like that. No papers signed. No chance for us to choose otherwise. We were transported to Arbos, where we began our schooling and military training. Truth be told, I received a proper education, and the training was secondary, but in my mind, all I could see were the white walls of Nepal's school. Just like the Napoleon tutors, our teachers told us how the Army of Peace would bring peace and order to the galaxy, and we would become heroes, remembered as those who had helped the AP succeed in its mission. All the hype meant nothing to me, for I saw the face behind the mask, the selfish inner worlds, those who had ignored us when we needed them and bombed us when it was too late. And now they had the gall to recruit me and tell me that I was serving a greater good? They were all the same. The inner worlds, Haman Nepal, the Enterprise for Planetary Defense, the Army of Peace, all of them, the same, just with a different face. I knew I would tear away the veneer and expose them, so the universe could see what I saw. Corrupted humans seeking power for the sake of power. (music) Buflin sat back down, as calm as ever. I recognize that my hatred for the Army of Peace and my desire to destroy them led to needless death. But I had no more control over that hatred than I do over the weather. It consumed me to the point where Buflin Elim no longer existed, and all that remained was a vehicle for violence. Razia, I am free now! Now I must move forward, not dwell on the mistakes of the past. Razia, there is nothing stopping you from doing the same, I protested. Buflin, how can I move forward when I have no future? I cannot join the remnants of the Army of Peace, for they rejected the chaos inside of me. I cannot reignite Nero's revolution, for I will never be the leader my mother was. I cannot become part of the Empire, for I was once Razia the Red Witch. Beauflin took me by the hand and helped me to my feet. A moment later, I realized I was standing. My body was whole again, and yet I still felt in pieces, needing to be put back together. Razia, the Crawled have always been your brethren. The crawl Ascension Movement is your future. You realized that many years ago. Beoflin started to lead me out from the building. I can't. As the words came out of my mouth, we stopped. I don't know much about the crawled or their movement, but I know enough. I remember enough. I remember what I did. I've seen the piles of bodies, the burning worlds. All I saw was death. It doesn't matter what you say. I cannot enable something that brings death instead of life. Brings death instead of life. (sighs) He said it like it was a joke. That sounds a lot like the history of man. You need not look far to find wars fought over avoidable misunderstandings and crazed ideologies. You think after thousands of years of civilization, humans would have worked it out. But their natures are fundamentally incompatible with peace. What are you saying? That you are not human? It is clear to me that humans and crawlers are distinct. The crawled are liberated from their physical bodies, detached from fear and prejudice. There is no hatred in our bones, no room for irrational beliefs. Petty human conflicts don't make sense to us. We could not replicate them, even if we tried. You say you do not hate, but you kill. You say you do not understand conflict, but you wage war. What is the crawled Ascension movement, truly, Beoflin? He changed his tone. Your mother died on Kima, Razia, during the outbreak, and it was the violence of man that killed her. No single act, not by an individual, but rather it was the collective inability of humans to find peace that faded Electa to the grave. A race that cannot settle disagreements without violence doesn't deserve to hold power. In another time, another place, the Crawled would have kept to their own devices, allowed humans to continue to kill each other, But the war that was coming between the Army of Peace and the People's Revolutionary Front would drag everyone into the fray. Vulcan feared that this time there would be no recovery. If the AP and PRF were allowed to play their war, they would destroy the galaxy in the process. It fell upon us to rise up from the chaos and to bring about a new order. I will tell you the story of the rise of the Kral Ascension movement. And you will know that it had a single purpose to remove power from the hands of man to liberate the universe from his degeneracy After the outbreak on Kima, separated and isolated, the crawled survived in refugee camps and makeshift shelters. Unaware that there were others like us, we believed ourselves to be freaks of nature. However, your father knew he was not alone, because he had you by his side. Vulcan emptied the off-world treasury of the salvage household and purchased a spacecraft. He returned to Kima in hopes that there were survivors. The planet's surface was ruinous. Giant craters that could be seen from orbit, a harsh red terrain devoid of greenery. The very air was toxic from weaponized chemicals. No human had survived. However, the crawled are not human. Vulcan scanners detected life. He transversed the entire planet of Kima, rescuing a total of 108 crawled. Vulcan's ship soon became a society. On board, there were scientists and engineers, thinkers and creators, and they passed down their knowledge to a new generation. The crawled children were intelligent and mature, always eager to learn. Many had lost their families, but any sadness had long left them, for a new life awaited. After scanning refugee camps in proximity to Kima, we found an additional 120 crawled. They were welcomed as members of our crew, into our family. But we were a family without a home, and so Vulcan made plans to expand the spacecraft into a permanent residence. With our combined labor, we transformed the ship into a space base with communal areas and sleeping dorms. There were classrooms for the children, libraries for the learn, facilities for sport and entertainment. It would have continued that way. We had no ambitions, no grand plans that we wished to foist upon the universe. Even so... We were dragged into this war, An AP patrol boarded our ship, as we were unregistered in the zone of this space. In compliance with the SPC Accords, we had to state our reason of passing through, and allow the AP soldiers to examine our cargo to determine that we were not transporting military-grade weaponry. However, without explanation, the AP soldiers placed us all under arrest. Not even the children were spared their demeaning treatment. In their records, they could write down that we refused to cooperate, which would justify their actions. But it didn't matter, because the AP seniority would not care that no crime had been committed, as long as they had more cannon fodder for their war. We were shipped to a mining world that the PRF was expected to siege. AP reinforcements had been delayed, and so we would be sent to the front lines to slow down any PRF advancements. Upon arrival, we were stationed among people who had suffered a similar fate. So willing was the Army of Peace to break any conventions of human decency. So willing were they to sacrifice entire generations depriving the universe of a future. Vulcan decided that it fell upon the crawled to offer the universe that future. He declared the establishment of the crawl Ascension movement right then and there, in the mud and the rain, in the trenches, in the filth. Only hours later, our first obstacle emerged from the gray skies. PRF bombers. Without adequate weaponry, our ranks were obliterated. But from the slaughter, we rose again, our wounds healing before our eyes. The bombing continuing long into the night. At long last, dawn came, and with it PRF troops. They believed they could march over a bloody battlefield and continue their conquests without a fight. They were wrong. When the crawled rose up to confront them, it was a massacre. They were wrong, and they paid the price with the life of each and every last one of them. It was clear to us that without Nero, or perhaps even before his demise, the PRF had lost interest in the revolution it preached. And the war with the AP had become its sole pursuit. It was time their reign of senseless violence was ended. The PRF had become even more elitist after Nero's death. A soldier by the name of Jilu Raven had been appointed Supreme Commander. He surrounded himself with a small council of longtime loyalists from Nero's day. But now, without the moderating voices of Electa Bori and Alicia Salvage, who had disappeared with her daughter, this council planned all strategy and delivered all orders, all with Jaloo Raven's consent. On the ground, Ravan established the institution of the Warriors of the Revolutionary. Wars, as they became to be called. Elite and loyal, these soldiers ensured that Raven's words were executed. They became the flies that hung over the carcasses of world leaders, guaranteeing continued loyalty and a constant supply of fresh conscripts. Wars also subsumed the duty of organizing PRF soldiers during battle, upholding Raven’s strategies to the letter, without concern for the millions of lives they sacrificed. And so, the Crawl Ascension movement began its work. Crawled, who had truly mastered their power, could modify their appearance. They wore the face of a trusted war and when close enough to one of Ravan's council members. There was no amount of guards that could contain them. With the eventual death of Ravan himself, the People's Revolutionary Front was on the verge of collapse. A select few of the small council had been chosen to survive. They were bitter rivals, and when it came time to elect the next supreme commander, There could be no consensus between them. Seasoned wars struggled to resolve this conflict. Robin had intentionally quashed those among their ranks who had leadership potential. The last members of the council decided to divide the strength of the PRF between them, but it was a poor decision, made long after their time had run out. Worlds that had suffered through Robin's yoke now saw an opportunity to free themselves. These governments funneled money and resources to anti-PRF factions who took the initiative and engaged the troops stationed on their planet. As world after world was liberated, it became clear to all that the PRF was finished. Our second target presented herself, the Army of Peace. Those who had once stood for peace and order now lived for war. Now that Nero was dead and the People's Revolutionary Front defunct, the AP could have returned to their role as overwatchers, allowing worlds to run their own affairs. Such was not to be. The AP would never trust the governments that had rejected them. So their answer was to crush them to rip the very notion of hope from their hearts until they could barely stand. And then, the army of peace would demand loyalty. No one could stand against the might of the AP, unless, of course, the inner worlds decided to take a stand against the army's senseless brutality. But it was clear to us that that was a false hope. This duty fell upon the crawled. We understood that their organization could not be so easily dismantled. They were built upon structures and institutions that operated beyond the whims and ambitions of individuals. And so, it would be unmitigated war. Every AP military base across the galaxy was targeted. A single crawled would infiltrate their ranks and then trigger an outbreak. From the ashes, newly born crawled would emerge and they would continue the fight. The AP retreated to space, but their ships were no safer. An outbreak within a confined hull was even more devastating. And so they retreated once more to their moon of Arbos. They constructed massive defense barriers in space, quarantined every soldier, evacuated all civilians readying for a final confrontation where they would win or they would die. It was an epic battle, both in the heavens and on Earth. On both sides, there were heroes, who fought with brave hearts and died martyrs. On both sides, many were lost. At points throughout the battle, it seemed that the Army of Peace would triumph, halting crawl advancements and isolating our soldiers. However, when we broke through their defensive barriers, there was nothing they could do to prevent the crawl from spreading. When great creatures attacked warships and leveled cities, even the most courageous fled. Our victory was inevitable. It became clear to all that Arbos and the galaxy now belong to the kraal.. Beauflin took my hand. Razia, there is something you must see. We stepped out from the ruinous building, out into the open. Towering formations of rubble surrounded us. From the black sky, heavy drops of rain struck the desolate landscape, sounding out a song of sorrow. Through the streets, rivers ran, reddish in darkness. I looked out to see the broken dome of Sindel's palace, cracked and collapsed in on itself. A shadow of what it once was. Was all this my doing? I looked at Beoflin. He didn't need a single word to understand the terror inside of me. Destruction beckons the beginning of a new age. Remember, from the ruins of Arbos, we built a paradise, a symbol of the future that shone out into the universe. Sindel took that dream from us, but it is in our grasp once again because of you. Together, we will finish what your father started. There he was, my father, right there before me. He was unmistakable in his flowing green gown, with his long black hair and ever-watchful eyes. He was standing on a slightly elevated platform, surrounded by an attentive crowd. I was captivated by the unique attires and complexions of each listener. I imagined they had come from many worlds, but they stood alongside one another without concern. There was something uniting them. My eyes returned to my father. He was explaining something, displaying virtual diagrams and taking questions. I was going to approach, but my attention was drawn away. I could hear my name being whispered. I turned to see a procession of people, covered from head to toe in heavy white robes, their faces bowed and shrouded in shadow, their arms hidden beneath their garb. Under my gaze, they fell to their knees. "'Oh, Razia, will you grant us a drop of life?' I wondered how I could refuse. With a nod of acceptance, one scurried towards me. Still bowing low, he took my hand and placed a small device in my palm. I felt a gentle prick. Moments later, he removed the device and returned to his group. They were murmuring delightedly among themselves, and soon were gone. Unsure of what had just transpired, I turned back to my father, but he too had disappeared. All besides, a few stragglers had followed him. Standing there was Beoflynn. He was with a child. She smiled, and I smiled back. Her skin was darker than Beoflynn's, much more like my own. I was consumed by a single thought. Mama! She started to run towards me. Mama! She jumped into my arms, and I cradled her. Suddenly, there was no longer any emptiness. Nothing more I needed to know. Nothing more I wanted to have. I was whole. Bioflynn wasn't far behind her. He smiled, with eyes full of life. I smiled back at him, unsure of what that smile meant. But I knew it felt right. I was at peace. At last. emerged from over the rubble. She brought with her bad news. It is beginning. They will be launching their attack from orbit soon. They will send in golden defenders to locate our position and isolate us, and then continue their attack with an aerial bombing. Beoflin nodded. He looked up into the rolling black clouds, as though there he would find the wisdom he sought. He was no soldier. I could see that. The Beoflin before me didn't have the temperament for violence. Even so, he had something to fight for. Beoflin, what happened to our daughter? She is dead. Or at least, I hope so. During Sindel's invasion, she was captured. She could still be alive, I whispered with hope, Why didn't you tell me that I had a daughter? Razia, I thought I lost both of you. I tried to find you, but it truly seemed like you had died during the battle on Arbos. I tried to find Kiana, but there was no trace to follow. If I told you, I can't lose you again, Razia. I managed to smile. But Beoflin we are lost. They are coming for us. All the more reason to fight, Razia. To end Sindel's tyranny. To give hope to those who can fight no longer. To keep our dream alive. To revenge our daughter. Razia, will you fight with me? Razia looked at Laurald long and hard and simply said, "Yes." Unthinkingly, Laurald replied, "A revolution requires men and women who are willing to fight." Razia was not pleased by his answer. "You have lied, Laurald. I read what you wrote about what happened on Arbos after the 10th anniversary of the Sindalian Empire. You said you witnessed the birth of a hero, someone as powerful as Sindel with all her armies." Someone who liberated the people from her yoke. I was there, living it, Laurald, and I liberated no people, only sent them to their graves. I had power, and I used it to destroy a world. You say you were on Arbos at the time. Well, you were one of the lucky ones. Not many made it off the moon alive. Again, Laurald responded. You used that power to destroy Sindel's capital, sending her empire into disarray, allowing rebellions to flourish. Razia moved closer. That is your fault, Luralt. You wrote that I would become this revolution's leader, that I was the one who could bring harmony to the universe. You have given them false hope. This is your opportunity to right that wrong. I destroyed Arbos, and now you know why. Not for some revolutionary ideal. Not for principles of peace. Not in the service of some noble ambition. No. I did it for no other reason than to avenge my daughter. When Lerold retorted that revenge was just another form of justice, Razia simply smiled. I see I cannot convince you. Then let your readers behold the truth. I have failed the legacy of my name. It is a name I never should have worn. The sound of boots on metal was now upon them. At every entrance, Imperial police stormed into the chamber. With fear running through their veins, some moved cautiously. Others could not stay still. But amid it all, there was Razia. Standing tall and strong, without apprehension. As though she had already lived through this moment in her mind. Slowly she turned in Laurent's direction. Before she was shocked in unconsciousness, her eyes met his, and she moved her lips. There is no light, no darkness, only Deus, only chaos. Lural's own hands were pressed behind his back, and a single shock sent him into a world of blackness. <music> In spite of his return to Imperial care, Lorald managed to release a sanitized version of his discourse with Razia Bori Selvage formerly known as the Red Witch, now known as the White Witch. It became a propaganda tool for the many rebellions across the galaxy. Razia was by then most likely dead or in an Imperial torture chamber, but the White Witch became a legend, transcending the lost soul without a name. She was portrayed as the embodiment of human history. Her mother, Alecta Bori, represented the order imposed by the Army of Peace. Her father, Vulcan Selvage, represented the chaos spread by the crawl ascension movement. As the revolution of Nero Makuro was born, so too was Razia conceived. However, Razia was not the only child of the revolution. Sindel Makuro grew up alongside her, but where Sindel chose the path of tyranny, Razia rejected the past and crippled her cousin's empire paving the way for a new future. I do wonder, when the historians of the future look back at our times, what will they see? Will they see the hopes and dreams of so many people who believed that they were transforming history? Will they remember Nepal's followers who believed they were uniting humankind? Will they remember Sindel's supporters who believed that they were restoring justice after humankind's darkest hour? Will they remember Razia's revolutionaries, who believed that a new age of history had begun? Or will they simply see three tyrants and an ocean of propaganda and brutal suppression? Today, some argue that the Sindalian Empire needs to be defeated, so Razia can be rescued and appointed our leader. Others see Razia as a martyr. She died, carrying with her the sins of the past, And with her death, she clears away the blood and our hatreds, allowing us to move forward. Either way, in time, the White Witch will become synonymous with a new future. When someone calls for revolution, they will invoke her name. Wherever Razia is now, this isn't what she wanted. She was fed up with the narratives that shaped history and blinded the people around her. That blinded her. And yet, in the end, it was a narrative that consumed her until the real Razia was forgotten to history. been listening to the History Reimagined podcast. With the end of part five comes the end of the Dejas series. We hope you enjoyed it. The next series will be about alchemy. If you know someone interested in alchemy, the history of science, or simply someone who wants to explore the historical curiosities through fiction, be sure to tell them about this podcast. With the conclusion of our first series, it is a good time to reflect upon the direction of History Reimagined. There are many areas where we would like to improve so we can bring you more informative and more engaging stories. To help us do that, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com historyreimagined history reimagined. Another way to financially support the podcast is to buy a t-shirt with art exclusively for the DeHaas series. They can be found at spreadshirt.com user slash history reimagined or by searching DeHaas on the Spreadshirt website. We also have a Twitter account, at ReimaginePod. Over there, we will post updates and more. You can contact us with questions and feedback. We will respond. That's a promise. History Reimagined is narrated by Dalton Bates and written by Levi Hirsch. The intro song is On and On by Charlotte O.C. Our theme music is Naive by Sergei Kirmisenov. Until next time, my fair listener.